When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Support the podcast on Patreon by joining the It's All Cobblers to Me fan club. Every month, you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content, such as our Meet the Staff series, hear our player interviews before anyone else, and be invited to regular meetups. By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me. to Wembley. Grayson is clear, he's got Paris with him, and it's hooked away by Edwards. Dean Peer is on for Northampton Town as a replacement for David Rennie. Hunter poised to take yet another long throw. Samson Corbett, Warburton's in there. Lee, who's won a free kick right on the edge of the penalty area. Frayne, charged down by Coates. Frayne again, and he's got it! What a marvellous goal from John Frame. Hello and welcome to It's All Cobblers to Me. I'm Charles Commons and this is another of our special episodes dedicated to the 25th anniversary of Wembley 97. Joining me for today's episode is a man who needs no introduction to Cobblers fans of all ages, I would suggest. His name is written into folklore thanks to one very special moment in the 93rd minute of the very match we are celebrating 25 years of. So let me welcome the one and only John Frayne to It's All Cobblers to Me. Evening, Charles. Pleasure to be here. It's great having you on, John. Thank you so much. Um, well, look, we'll, we'll get to that magical moment at Wembley as quickly as we can. But first of all, I just wanted to take you back to your, I suppose, to the beginnings of your career. So starting out at Birmingham City, where, of course, you spent just over 10 years. Tell me about 
the start of your career, John? How how did you go about becoming a professional footballer? Yeah, uh, I played football for the, the various teams like you did back in the, those days, school team, your Sunday team, uh, your, your district team. Then um, if you're good enough, you go into county. Uh, and then lots of, you know, if, you, if you're doing well, clubs come and watch you from the age of 12, 13, 14. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a, a few clubs come to watch and invite me for trials. Birmingham, uh, Aston Villa and, and Leicester when I was about 13, 14. But Birmingham um, sort of bent over backwards. Uh, they were so accommodating and, and really made an effort and uh, made you feel that they really wanted you to be part of their setup. And it was a bit of a no-brainer for, for myself. So I signed scoreboard forms when I was 14 at Birmingham. Uh, left school. And a month later, you, you start your apprenticeship. Ron Saunders was my first manager. I had 18 months uh, in, the, in the youth team, made my debut when I was 17 in the old first division. And that was against uh, against Newcastle. Peter Beardsley, uh, Paul Gascoigne playing, one of the best memories I have from, from my playing days. We got absolutely hammered 4-1. Um, Peter Beardsley was just on a different planet. Over the two, three next coming seasons, sort of cement myself in the first team. Really. I had 11 fantastic years at Birmingham. Yeah, not, not all great because the club's in a bit of a situation at the moment. And um, back when I first started out, it was in a similar vein, really. Uh, yeah, it was a, a real struggle in the early days. The club struggled with the owner, owner left and there's a lack of resource, a lack of, lack of investment in the club. So there's some dark days. It's not until you, you finish really and you look back over your, those periods of your career where you've you, you got to take things as a, as a whole and not little isolated moments where you know, things didn't go so well. So, but no, I, I was very fortunate to play for that club. You won the Association Members Cup in 1991 and then the following season you got promoted out of Division 3. So that's 91-92. So I, I'm presuming that that would be the equivalent now of League One. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Ninety-one. Um, Lou was. We had a big turnover of managers in the three, four years before. So, so Lou Macari, uh came. I think in the October, November of that season, maybe a bit, a little bit later. And we had a good run to the Leyland Daft Cup final. Absolutely fantastic game. We beat Tranmere three-two. Uh, John Gale scored two, two goals, two of the best goals you'll see at Wembley. Um, Ian Clarkson played in that game as well, Dean Pierre. Uh, so lots of old Cobblers connections. And then the following season, Terry Cooper took over in the summer. And we had, we had a really good 12 months, really good set of lads. We managed to get promotion back to the Division One, like, like you say, the Caribbean City Championship now. Would you say that that was kind of your best period of time at Birmingham? Definitely, yeah. I think from 91 to 94, 95, played some of the best foot in my career, really. Uh, and as a whole, you know, we, Enjoyed a bit of success because you know the years before weren't great. One of them, so I made my debut in the old Division One, which again the equivalent of the Premiership now. We sort of slid down the leagues and struggling to avoid was in relegation fights most season. You know when you do get those days do come round, you really do learn to appreciate them because they you know they are few and far between. So when when you signed for the Cobblers, I mean, I mean there was that little bit of time at, at Birmingham City. I think I believe you. You were quoted, and this might be, have been right after actually the final whistle at Wembley, where you were quoted to say, it's not bad considering 12 months ago I was rotting in the reserves at Birmingham. How did that spell towards the end of your, your time at Birmingham City? What was that transition like, that, that period of obviously not being in the team that often and then looking away before eventually signing for the Cobblers? Barry Fry was managed, I think, towards 95, 96. And we had a really disappointing end of the season. Um, and that season was also my testimonial. 
So we had a testimonial game, which sort of culminated in the game against Aston Villa. We finished the season poorly and it ended up with Barry getting the sack. And in that that close season, I was out of contract. Sort of I'd spoken to Barry about contracts and we were talking about a two-year two-year deal. I was always in limbo really after Barry left. Trevor Francis took over. And he, he, he was like, quite straight with me. So, um, he offered me a 12-year deal. He said, I can't guarantee your place. It's you know up to you. And I just felt at the time that I, I owed um, another year, really. Um, just felt it was a, the wrong time to walk away uh, after my testimonial. Looking back, um, it probably would have been the best thing for me and for, for Birmingham if I had gone then. But it was came pretty apparent very, very quickly um, that I wasn't going to figure at all in the new manager's plans. Uh, and it was a case of just training with first year, second year pros and, and the YTSs. And it came quite soul destroying, uh, you know, day in, day out. You may join in the odd session with the first team or, you know, when they're a bit short or whatever. I did play one game in that season in October. We weren't going through a, a very good patch. I think the manager quoted the saying, he said he'd give everyone else a go, but he hadn't give me a go. So I, we played against Portsmouth away and I, did, I didn't play very well. I mean, I had a very poor game, um, but that was my one chance and I was out again. Uh, I thought I had a good enough sort of pedigree that someone might come and come and have a look and you just got to try and show the right, right attitude really. Um, I think that's something I've always you know, done okay with during my career. I had a very strong mental attitude and, and but it, there were some some days though it was like you know, you're training with six, seven lads and it's they're all about 2019, 18. It, it was really tough. So it came to just before Christmas I had a, a Paul McGroin in a training session so I ended up having a hernia operation on the run up to Christmas, I um, bumped into uh, to Ian Atkins, who was, like, used to live like quite local to myself in Solihull. And he says, you, what, what are you doing? He said, you've got to get yourself out of there. I said, yeah, well, I've just got to get myself fit first and this only operation then, yeah. We'll see what the new year brings. And um, I think it coincided with, with Sean, Sean Parrish, breaking his um, cheekbone. So I said, we, we you come for a month on loan? So it do you good, it do us good, beneficial for both parties. So I think it was the first, second week in January. I came on loan for a month. Really enjoyed it. First two, two, three games, I was absolutely blown. I hadn't played for you know, that one game. Reserve team football is nothing like you know, you, you know, first team football anywhere in any division. Um, but settled in really, really well. I mean, I knew quite a few of the lads anyway, so from the old Burma connection. Really enjoyed it. And, and Ian inquired about taking me for another month on loan, but the manager at Birmingham wouldn't let me. So he called me back and I thought, okay, I'm going to go back. I might have a shot at you know, being in the first team squad, but I was straight back in reserves and uh, it's grew more frustrating and it came to a head where I pulled the manager and said, what am I doing here? You know, I'm wasting your time, wasting my time. Uh, and in the end, um, I think my last game for Birmingham was a reserve game and a cold night at Hensford Town um, against I think, Everton Reserves. It's just, it's sometimes in football there's absolutely zero sentimentality. You know, it's just the way it goes. It's, you know, Packed my boots away that night and next morning I'm training with uh, Northampton. I on a short, short-term short deal to in the season. I think just on deadline day or just before deadline day. And then obviously Northampton's season was like, you know, heading in the right direction. So it was great, great time to join. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, because when you did sign, the Cobblers were sitting inside the playoff places. We were sort of anywhere fifth, sixth or seventh over the course of uh, about four or five games sort of January, February time when you first came on loan. When you did arrive, what did, what did you make of the team at the first point? Because we didn't have the best of starts to that season, but kind of come January, we'd, we'd almost sneaked into the top half and then a couple of wins, I think we went four or five on the bounce, just saw us straight into those playoff places. And then it was 
although we dropped out at one point, we kind of never looked back after that. So I knew the way Ian worked, yeah, very organised, likes his team to be strong, have a, a strong physical presence, especially for the spine of it. The immediate feeling I got, what a what great bunch of lads, you know, settled in so quickly. Team spirit, it was one of the best dressing rooms I've ever played in. The work ethic they had for each other was, was fantastic. You know, it made me feel so welcome straight away as well. Some big, strong characters in there as well, you know, and some experienced players who had been there and, and done it. You know, you talk about John Gales got his two goals at Wembley in the, back in 91. You know, Dave Rennie, Ray Warburton, Ian Sampson. But it wasn't just those guys, you know. It was the guys who perhaps didn't figure as much, like some Mickey Warner. He didn't probably get as many of the opportunities as he wanted or perhaps he deserved. And there's other guys, you know, Billy Turley was Andy's number two. But they were great lads as well, you know, and really, really contributed to, the, to that team spirit that we had at the time. We got a bit of momentum going towards the end of the season as well. We just needed to keep that going, not make any mistakes. I think I remember playing against Wigan and we might have lost in the last minute. There might have been eight, nine games to go. I might be wrong because, you know, you remember Goes up when he gets my age. Um, but we played really well, uh, and they were probably the best side in the division. We certainly deserved at least a draw out of that game and ended up losing it. But we took great confidence from that, and I think we went on a really good run then towards the end of the season. Yeah, that was the last defeat of that season. And literally, you then go on, you only draw two other matches. Every other game you win. I just wanted a, a new lease of life, and it was time for, time for me to go somewhere else. Yeah, it was only a short, a short-term deal as well, so... If it didn't sort, suit Northampton, didn't suit me, yeah, we could have got to him this season and said, thanks very much, let's uh, look at something else. I suppose in a way, that opportunity for that, that short-term deal, it gave you that that chance to just just showcase your, yourself, your ability, your talent. And were you hoping, therefore, that actually a, a bigger club would see you and then come in? Or, or were you actually just sort of thinking, I'm in the door here, Let's do as good as I can so that they can't say no to me come the end of the season. Yeah, I just wanted to enjoy myself. Uh, I'd enjoyed the month I'd alone, um, especially towards the end. So the first couple of games, I was really fond of my legs. But after four or five games, I got my match fitness and um, I felt I was really contributing as well. And I, you could just feel a sense of something, something happening. Um, and I thought, right, get back into it. And like I say, the momentum, we, was, we thought this could develop into something. We've got a really good chance to get promotion here. No one would actually come out and say it, but you just felt it. It was a feeling around the vision, really. Uh, and certainly the manager was, wasn't going, you know, we're, we're going to get promotion, this and that. It was like, you know, just a real quiet belief uh, amongst us. And so I, I was really enjoying it. And I had one or two clubs that were perhaps sniffing towards the end of the season. I didn't have an agent, never had an agent from a career. So, you know, it's just, you know, brings you here. But no, it's just a case of, you know, let's enjoy it. Let's hopefully finish the season off well. And then let's see what happens. So let's get to the playoffs then, the end of the season. Obviously, we're facing Cardiff in the semi-finals. We go to their place and win 1-0 and then beat them 3-2 at Sixfields. And that sets up the big one at Wembley against Swansea, as it turns out to be. What do you remember of those two semi-final games? Is there anything in particular that stood out for you in those matches? Did you feel like when we went into them, you said before that Although nobody came out and said it, there was a feeling, a good feeling about promotion. Did you think that, you know, you were going into those matches as favourites in your eyes? We were very confident, not overconfident, but very confident. I don't think anyone in the playoffs really wanted to face us. If they could face one of the other three clubs, that would have been their preference. Just think we were so strong, so organised. 
yeah, we, we had a bit of a nasty streak about us as well. But we had really, really physical presence. You know, it wasn't everyone everyone's cup of tea, and you know the way we played perhaps wasn't. But you know, that stage of the season, it's all about you know winning the big games. The Cardiff game, I remember. I think it was it. Sunday morning, well, it felt like a Sunday morning. I think it's about 12 o'clock kickoff, half 12 kickoff or something like that. It just felt a real odd time to be playing. And then, so we went to, um, we had a stroll about 10 o'clock and then got on the bus. As much as, you know, the manager might stress it's just another game, you, you know, it's not, you know, it's important, you know, how important it is. Yeah, perhaps a tad more nervous. You know, we played at Indian Park, fantastic ground as well, against a decent side. The memory of the game is like everyone's memory of the game and Sean's amazing goal. We haven't seen Sean for a few years, but when we did, and it's uh, it's the second best goal ever scored by a cobbler. And uh, he's uh, <laughs> he, he, he adamant it was better than mine. Um, and he's probably right to be honest. It's just an absolutely unbelievable goal. I think everyone just remembers the finish, but you know, he's actual, I think he beat a couple of players and he, he's picked at the ball. But Sean, Sean was a really good player, really good player. Smashing lad as well. Uh, him and Roy Hunter complement each other really well. The second leg then, when I'm watching it, I'm going, this feels very comfortable from a Northampton perspective. Did it feel like that? It did, actually. The atmosphere was, it was incredible. But we started really well. Just felt in control for the whole 90 minutes. I know it ended up 3-2. We scored early doors. I think Samuel got the end of a free kick. They may have equalised, made it 1-1. And then I think Jeff Eckhart got sent off. Elbowing, it might have been Grace. I can't remember who he was, but he caught someone now about but even before that, it was more like a long well, blimey, they've just scored sort of thing. It was it was a bit hard. It didn't feel like any panic stations, you know, setting in at all. And uh, then sending off that sort of allowed us to, to really not relax, but you know, dominate really. And then we scored the two goals, um, Razor from a, from a set piece and then Gailey. And then I think they scored right in the 90th minute. So it put put a bit of a gloss on the scoreline for them, but never felt in danger in that game. Just felt really, really comfortable. Just really concentrated. It really, I think the, the word I'd use for that. Performance is really a concentrated performance for, for 90 minutes from, from the lads. You, you've got the likes of Ray Warburton, Samuel, Dave Rennie, you know, myself, Clarkey, Dean, experienced players, you know, played, played a lot of games and sort of knew how to see out the game as well. It just felt the celebrations afterwards, though, it was controlled performance. The celebrations weren't too controlled, I don't think. <laughs> I was going to say, actually, just before we get to Wembley, there were a, quite a number of you that had already played in finals be it playoff finals or major events at Wembley Stadium for some of you do you think that benefited you as a side as a whole the fact that you had so much experience of those kind of events already prior to this playoff campaign definitely remember back in 91 when we got to Wembley Lou Macari obviously played at Wembley many times for Scotland and uh, for Man U Lou was a fitness fanatic and we'd run and run and run it was we had a week in uh, Reading University the week before the, the Lone and Duff Cup final, and we were still running then, you know, up to two days before the game. And he said to us, you'll get to Wembley and you go out for the wall and you won't be able to feel your legs. So you'd be all the adrenaline and, and lactic acid in your legs. And he was bang on, absolutely bang on. We were going for the warm up and just couldn't feel my thighs. And he, absolutely, honestly, it was just never felt like anything like it in my career. So the lads were going back at half two into the dress, dress room to get, get a rug from the physio, trying to get, you know, it was weird, a real weird feeling. So you don't want to sound like, well, I've been to Wembley, I've played there. And yeah, that, that wasn't the case. You're just trying to, you know, pass on as much as you can, really. You know, to soak it up, I mean, the experience down Wembley Way, we went with Birmingham was something I'll never forget. Uh, and again, in Northampton, you know, those, you've got to really soak up the moments as well. Trying to remain as much in the zone for the game as you can. But you've got to, you know, I was really fortunate to play Wembley three times in my career. 
really fortunate. On the day then, you, you've gone out onto the pitch, you've done the whole walk around, walk at Wembley Way and walk around the pitch, you know, in, in your suits and try to take it all in. Can you take it all in? You know, are you able to actually go, wow, this is big? Or, or is it something you have to sort of just, just put your guard up almost and say, don't let it overawe you as an occasion, as a stadium, as an event? I think Ian was quite quite switched on to that, really. We stopped at a hotel just around the corner from Wembley and we was going to have win or lose uh, a party afterwards at the hotel as well. So I remember about it's about 11 o'clock. The wives and girlfriends were coming down, so there's a bit of swapping and changing rooms. So Ian said, right, you've got 10 minutes to get your bag. If you're moving room, get your bag, put it in the room, and that's it. Have a quick hello to your wife, girlfriend, and say hello, and that's it. So he was really conscious of there being no distractions, really, or as minimal distractions as possible. So as soon as you got to the ground, yeah, you, you're walking around in your suits, but everyone's focus was on what we're there for. There was, I don't think there was any danger with the preparation that we had, that we weren't aware. And so there's enough players who've been through similar situations anyway to, uh, to make sure everyone was like towing the same line. So you're walking out then, the two teams walking out the tunnel, that famous walk from the corner of the stadium to come out into, you know, in, in front of, I think the total attendance was 46,000. 32,000 of which are all in claret and white. I mean, that must have been amazing to see as a player. I mean, I remember thinking, wow, this is huge. This is brilliant. For you, that that must have been incredible to see such a, you know, and I don't mean any disrespect to my football team here, but to see such a small football club take that many fans and show that much potential must have been just inspiring. It, it definitely was. I mean, the, the whole build-up, the town just really, really took off those couple of weeks before Wembley. Everywhere we went, really, you know, people were so accommodating the, the suits, getting measured for the suits and going to get, to get our shoes and, you know, silly little things like that. It was just, you know, everyone was so, so much behind you and uh, everyone you bumped into seemed to be going to the game as well. Walking out the tunnel, it's, it's like goosebump time. You do sort of take a breath and you think, oh, this is what you play for, really. You know, it's worth all the sacrifice and all the training reserves with six or seven, 18, 19-year-old kids, you know, uh, putting yourself for those dark days and you think, oh, what am I doing this for? You do it for those days. And the noise when you come out, that's just incredible. And as a player, you, God, you just want those few minutes to go, you just want the whistle to start so you can just, you know, start playing the game. At that point, can you sort of zone the crowd out, can you? As soon as you're actually down to business that kind of blurs almost into the background and, and you're there to do the same thing that you're there on a Saturday afternoon at three o'clock to do every week. It doesn't really matter where you are. Yeah, you, you get the lineup, you get the formalities out of the way, you peel off um, and those two minutes before the game starts, then that is it. You are just purely, purely focused on the game. There's no looking for so-and-so in the crowd. It's a season's work. You know, 46 games gone into that. You've got the playoff semi-final. You know, it's down to 90 minutes and uh, you, you've got to be completely switched on. Ian, again, was very much on the sports psychology side of things as well. And he tried to make sure you're mentally prepared for stuff like this as well. Forgetting about what happens right at the end for a minute, what do you remember of the game itself? I think it's fair to say it probably wasn't the most exciting cup final that's ever been played. 
some of the quotes of it first afterwards, it was quite comical. I think both teams are so aware of what's at stake. Perhaps a bit cautious. If I'm honest, I think Swansea probably slightly edged the first half. But I think the second half, second half was going. I think we'd come on quite strong. We were creating probably too many clear-cut chances. I felt we were finishing the stronger side. I felt we were more threatening. We were aware they had some quality. You know, Jan Malby, who may be in his, his age, but if you give him time and, and space still, he, he could really hurt you. Um, so we, we didn't allow him to play at all. He gets to about a quarter of an hour to go. You know, you, you just don't want to make a mistake to, to lose it, really. And you're just hoping someone, you know, or something happens to win it for you. But as a spectacle, it probably nerve-wracking for the supporters, I imagine, because it's, you know, it's nil-nil on neither side of on top, really. You don't know which way it's going to go. It's, you know, it's ticking down towards 90 minutes, anything like extra time. You know, oh, God, penalties. Like, you know, so. As a player, you just really just focus on your job. Keep doing your job. Make sure the one who's next to me doing his job as well. Um, and, you know, just try to see it through, really, and hoping someone comes up with something. Come on, then. Talk me through the free kick. No, it's late in the game by the time the free kick's given. I think, was it a foul on Chrissy Lee, perhaps? And there's, there's a big cheer goes up. Noise of anticipation, really. The initial free kick is sort of right of centre of the goal, just right of centre. So it, it favours a left footer more than it does a right. So ref's whistle goes, I hit it. And as soon as I hit it, um, Jonathan Coates, as he's broke, broken from the wall so early, and I think he's about three, four yards away, my immediate reaction is to turn to the ref, but the fair to the referee, he's blue straight away. And give it, I think he booked him for, in, for encroachment. Swansea weren't very happy, obviously. When it, the, the ball got replaced, it was slightly more towards the centre. And I still fancied it. And, and, and Roy fair to him said, what about the other side? It's opening up a little bit. And I looked at it and I thought, yeah, there was, there was a bit of a gap. The only thought really was to get a good connection on it. Just good strike. Don't hit the wall. Think, don't hit the wall. I honestly couldn't tell you if my first one, if he hadn't encroached, if it would have hit the wall or not, I couldn't tell you where it would have ended up. But for the second one, as soon as I've hit it, I know I've hit it quite sweetly, and I can't really see around the wall, so I'm sort of trying to bend my head to see where it's at. The first I sort of knew it's gone in is the noise and the lad's reaction. I think there's a photo of Jason White and uh, Sean as well. And then it's just... Um, unbelievable thing. I've been mean, asked so many times what it felt like and I still can't describe what it felt like. It's just loads of different emotions. I think the massive one was relief, you know, because everyone was realised how late in the game it was. And I, I didn't even get a chance to, to run away and go towards the fans or, or whatever. Roy's straight there. So all of them stood there, stood there, like the worst celebration in the world, but it was just sheer relief, disbelief, exhilaration, so many different feelings in, in one moment. And I remember running back to the halfway line. I could barely breathe, honestly. I could barely breathe. I was trying to suck some breath in. Because you know it's late, but you don't know how ref might play another one, two minutes. And I thought, the ball gets played over me. I ain't going to be able to, to move. I'm just, you know, can't, like, honestly, I really struggled to breathe. I think they kicked off and the game lasted another 10 seconds and, and, he's, and the rest blew up. And uh, after that, it just, because the to my knees and the next thing, another, you know, the lads have all, Jumped on top, all the coaching staff, all the lads who weren't playing, come on with pitch as well. And that started, what a weekend, and a few days they were. <laughs> it's incredible. If you hadn't have scored and the game had gone to extra time, did you fancy your chances to still come out on top? Were you absolutely knackered? 
Yeah, I, I think it was, but I think probably Swansea felt the same as well. Um, it was a really hot day. And what they say about when you pitch, it's so true. It just seems twice the size of any other pitch you ever play on. It's really, and as you sap in the turf as well, and it's all, again, all police, but it's all so true once you, you play there. And it's, I uh, don't think anyone's looking forward to, to extra time. But, you know, we're a strong bunch. We're a strong, resilient bunch. So if they'd have gone to extra time, I'd still fancy the chances. And then the interesting question would have come if we had got to penalties. You know, I can't remember if we actually practised them. I guess we probably did. And I probably would have took one if I was just on the pitch at the time. But, Jesus, I'm glad I didn't have to. <laughs> well, let's let's fast forward then to the Monday and, and the the parade that went through Northampton to the Market Square. Um, we've been reminded by, uh, I think it was Mike Sewell, actually, uh, on, on the other episode, on his episode, uh, reminded us of a song that was being sung by your gaffer, Ian Atkins, uh, about yourself on the top of the bus. Can you remember that at all? He's bald, he's something along those lines. So, something along those lines, worth a million pounds. Right, Johnny yes. Frayne, Johnny Frayne, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I can't describe what those few days were like. They were just, you know, the night time, the, the game, the night after the game, um, we got back to the hotel, obviously. You know, you're just such a high. So I think the official thing to kicked off at half seven, but you straight in, dump a bag, the girls are getting ready, all the lads are back downstairs again. And then the fire alarm goes off in the hotel. So we're all outside and um Someone says, oh, there's a pub down the road. So we go to 100 yards down the road and the corner's a pub and it's full of Coppers fans and, and uh, Swansea fans. So we spend an hour and a half in there. Uh, it just added to the night and back to the hotel. And you could have you drunk and drunk and drunk. It's just one of those day, nights you're, you're not going to get drunk. I think I was up to about two, three o'clock in the morning. Then the Sunday, you just go back and you spend recovering a bit. And then Monday, yeah, we met at, at Sixfields for the bus tour. So Ian's pulled me to one side and said, listen, we're going to try and sort your contract out. So he, he said, this is what we'll offer you. Um, what do you think? And I said, yeah, I'm happy. So that was done and done on the, on the Monday morning as well. So for me, that was great. Yeah. I could have let it go and I could have like waited to see what the offers come in. But I'd so enjoyed the end of the season. Uh, felt such a part of a great bunch of lads. Why why move? Yeah, We've got promotion to, to Division 1 as well. So yeah, why move? But that day, the uh, the bus tour, you know, it was incredible, absolutely incredible. You had so many people on every corner. There's a few crates of lager on the coach. We had to do an emergency stop at, I think, Chicago Rock. The lads could use the facilities. And then uh, back on the coach. The supporters were unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. The noise they made, you know, the noise they made at Wembley was, was unbelievable. The noise on that, on that bus. It's just a, an absolute privilege to be part of, those few months and then for the following 12 months again we managed to to carry on massively overachieved in that division I think with the, the score of players and resources we had and when it was 90 minutes away from going into the, what would be the championship now what an achievement that would have been just a yeah a real favourite part of my career those those two years really were um, and I gave it a privilege to be playing with that group of players do you so I mean you spent six years with us in the end, captaining the side for some of those as well. Maybe a silly question, but where, where does the goal rank in your career at the Cobblers? Was it number one? Oh, yeah. Personally and selfishly, yes. Yeah, I think one of the reporters, uh, I think from the Times, he said, well, the most direst games he's ever watched 
both managers must have said to their players, go and treat this like any normal game in Division 2. He said, unfortunately, they did. And uh, it was just uh, times like that and situations like that. Don't, I think I got called a journeyman pro and whatever. And then, and then one guy said, who is this? Was this a youngster, young 19-year-old up and coming? You know, no, it was a journeyman balding uh, fullback <laughs> who scored a winning goal. <laughs> in a way, you sort of, you know, things like that don't happen to players like me too many times. But no, it was, um, yeah, the best individual moment of my career. Sometimes uh, I didn't feel like, like a fraud as such, but I sort of came onto the, the coattails really of the lads' achievement, you know, and they'll see it the, the month in January and then from mid-March to the, you know, so just for, it's for all the players really, for every member of that squad, um, what, a, what a great bunch of lads they were. Yeah, I was going to ask you, with that goal, you then get named, and, and this is fast-forwarding, you know, nine, ten years now, you were chosen by the fans as one of, three favourite club heroes in the BBC Sports Colts Heroes poll, uh, which happened in 2006. The others were Dave Bowen and Samo. Is that hard for you to sort of comprehend or see yourself as being seen in that high esteem by fans? I imagine in a way it must be quite, you know, getting asked to do things like this, coming on a podcast just to talk about a goal. And, you know, you were on Radio Northampton the other week to do exactly the same thing. I don't know how I would feel about that. I'd, I'd, I'd kind of go, well, what's all the fuss about? All I did was just, you know, hit one ball with my left foot and it rippled the back of the net. That's all I did. <laughs> yes, amazed, to be honest, in, in that top three, when you consider all the players, managers, coaches who've been involved in Northampton. One of my favourite people at Northampton for the six years I there was, God bless him, um, Dennis Casey. Such a fantastic man, one of the best men I've ever met in football. And for me, he'd, he'd be in the top three of those people, much more deserving than me, to be honest. Just a, a fantastic guy, epitomised everything about you know what was about Northampton. Not just a physio, did the kit, did the warm-ups, you know, such a, such a fantastic sense of humour. I mean, I, unfortunately, I spent too many times with Dennis towards him in a career in, a, in the physio room, you know, got to know each other really well. And he's, he's one person we raise in a glass to in a, in a few weeks' time when we when we get together. I do. I, I love talking about the old times. Yeah, you know, I don't want to prattle on, and I don't want to. You know, I wouldn't force them on anybody. But if someone's asked me a question and said, "Do you want to talk about that season or the season afterwards?" I'll gladly do it because I bring back such happy memories. And you forget you know, a lot, a lot of the things. Really, it's not until you might ask a question, you think, "Oh God, yeah, that triggers a memory," and think, "Oh, I forgot about so and so." Yeah, it's uh, just just great times. God, I was very fortunate to be a footballer for sixteen years. And you sort of go through good times, bad times. Uh, but when you get a bit older, you tend to appreciate exactly what you had. Uh, and it's been just fantastic memories. Well, look, I know you're coming to the event on the 20th of May, coming to see us, coming to see the fans. Um, if you want to, you can go and get your tickets for that now. Just go to the NTFC website. But one of the things, lastly, here, John, we're looking forward to seeing you there. Now, obviously... We're going to be in the West Stand and people are going to be facing the East Stand, which is hopefully Touchwood due to be finally finished at some point in the near future. Now, we're expecting several of the boxes, of course, to end up being named after people from the football club's history. I'm, I'm sure your name will be in the frame for that. But here on the podcast, one of the campaigns that we're actually doing is to get the corridor that will link all of those boxes together to be branded as the Dean Pier Corridor. 
Now, I'm just wondering if you could just lend us your support for that campaign. We need to get the football club on board with this. Absolutely, 100%. And I played with Dean at Birmingham uh, for many years. We were apprentices together. Which me and Dean go back, we used to play against him when he was 14, 15. He was so appreciated by his fellow professionals for the work he did on the pitch. Sometimes he didn't look the most attractive of players, but he would never stop running and he would leave every bit of himself on that pitch every time he played. And for me, as a, as a, yeah, as a player, coach, manager, it's all cabasco from the player. Uh, smashing lad as well. Didn't deserve some of the stick he got, but used to shrug it off. Didn't affect him. Smashing lad. Pity about his, his dress sense. But apart from that, yes, 100% behind that. Brilliant. Thank you so much for chatting with me, John. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. We've got loads more to come from the class of 97 in the coming weeks. And don't forget to put your place at the anniversary events on Friday the 20th of May at Sixers. As I said before, you can do that by getting in touch with the club or visiting ntfc.co.uk. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back again with another legend soon. Support the podcast on Patreon by joining the It's All Cobblers To Me fan club. Every month, you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content, such as our Meet the Staff series, hear our player interviews before anyone else, and be invited to regular meetups. By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.